0: hello everybody and welcome to three point perspective the podcast about illustration how to do it how to make a living at it and how to make an impact in the world with your art i'm jake parker
1: i'm lee white and i'm will terry and all three of us are professional illustrators and for about the last 25 years we've all been working with uh, the major publishers and we've together published somewhere around 50 bucks and we've all taught illustration at the university level
2: yeah each week we're going to be bringing you a different theme different stories different topics and uh, sometimes we're going to agree. Sometimes we're going to argue. Today we're probably going to argue. But uh, each time you're going to learn something brand new.
0: Yeah, Lee hasn't told us what the topic is today. so It's our new thing, right? Will and I are just sitting here not knowing what it could be. Um, anyways, it's good to see you guys, talk to you guys. I want an update on how things are going with your projects, what's going on.
2: My Will. problem. Oh, I was gonna go first. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead, Lee. Give me,
2: give me a give me a sound effect, Jake. For that. <laughs> <laughs> you got. We should prep our audience to tell them that we got some new sound effects and we're like a kid on no, Christmas.
1: Jake got them, and we don't have control over them. That's true. That's right.
0: That's right. <laughs> let me let me just ask the audience: Do you guys like the new sound effects? Yeah! <laughs> oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Okay, go for it, Lee. (laughs)
2: Um, I have started uh, doing... I'm I'm continuing on the book cover series that I was talking about last week, and then I'm also doing a group of 50 different patterns that I'm giving to my licensing agent that she is going to take to Surtech, which is a really cool pattern convention in New York. And uh, so I'm going to be looking to selling some different kinds of illustration that I've done in the past, which is just pattern and gift kind of... um,
0: Licensing, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I like that. Uh, also, the the cover illustration things that you were doing. Did you do anything besides the Lord of the Flies?
2: Um, I've got the next round started, and I'm going to be doing the finished art for that this week.
1: Great! Can't wait to see that. All
0: right,
2: They're
1: fun. Well, I uh, am working on the Bone Apart book, the sequel, and I'm also working on a. Up, upcoming Kickstarter but I'm not going to announce what it is I'd lo- I, I always believe that you get your, your, your best impact if you you know when you come out with an announcement when you're ready to go I don't know, do you guys feel that way?
0: I think the, the best practice right now for Kickstarters is to have a long lead up to it and even to say mark your calendars on this date I'm launching a Kickstarter for this thing
1: well, I'm going to do that, but the pre-launch is going to be sometime in January. I want Christmas to be over with. Yeah. So so, so, so what uh, what
2: month are you thinking?
1: Uh, either February or March, we'll pull the trigger.
2: It's going to be a book? Or, um, now I'm going to start
0: asking too many
1: questions. You want to
2: keep it keep it on the download for now?
1: Uh, I'll tell you privately.
0: Okay. All right. So the Kickstarter action launches in February.
1: Yeah, the, the pre-launch yeah. games.
2: You're a brave, Jake. you're a brave man. I, I'm still exhausted from the Kickstarter I ran two years ago. I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm employing people this time, so I see. So it's not just you know.
2: No. Oh man, I'm curious. Are, are me and Jake involved?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know it yet.
2: <laughs> I'm slowly getting it out of you by asking a hundred questions.
0: I'm still tired from my Kickstarter too. <sighs> Skyhook thing. Did you deliver? Yeah, everything except for two um, commissions, everything's been mailed out. And I'm just waiting on, like, so I sent out the surveys and I got all the surveys, over 1,800 surveys back. So I mailed out all those books. There's about 175 surveys that went unanswered. And now I'm getting emails from people or messages from people saying, hey, uh, I never got my book go and check, and they never filled out the survey. So I don't have an address to send the book to. So now it's like going through and messaging these people and just saying, hey, last chance, I need your address, You are going to want to get this book. So perhaps one or two of them are listening to this right now. <laughs> and so uh, we're working on it. We want to get you your book, that's for sure. And whatever books I have left over, which might be like 50 copies, um, I'm just going to put up in my shop and So I guess that's what's going on with me.
2: (laughs) Do we want to talk about our sponsorship? Who's bringing us Uh, this
0: podcast? This podcast, let me see here. This podcast is being brought to us by Apple. Uh, They make computers. No. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't actually get it
2: sponsored, but now that we threw that out there, we can bill Apple for that, I think.
0: That's right. Oh, oh, that works. works. We tell Lisa to send them an invoice. Invoice. Coming your way, Apple. <laughs> no. Uh, SPSlearn.com. That's that's the sponsor of this podcast. This, that's what makes this podcast possible. And uh, I was thinking, actually thinking about it. We should, for people who are subscribed to Learn, our subscribers, we should ask them what questions they want answered on the podcast. And maybe have that be a segment where... We have one subscriber question that we answer each time. What do you guys think about that? I like that. I
2: like it. I like it. Lisa was saying that I, we should also have another section that's called Lee's rant, where I just like complain about something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you guys think? Do You guys want Lee's rant? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, <no. laughs> Sorry, Come, on, Come on, guys! Come on! I like how uh, we save. Our SVS meetings for the podcast. Yeah, you want to know financials right yes, now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, uh, we're lo- we're losing uh, listeners now. Let's. I can hear them turning off the radio.
0: Okay, okay. okay, okay. Uh, anyways, if you want to uh, check out svslearn.com, dot com, um, a ton of great illustration education content on there. Uh, hundreds of hours, over one hundred classes of so maybe two or three hundred hours of, uh, of, of content on there. So check that out. Give it a look. Um, there's a, there's a, you, can, you can do it for free for seven days. So try it out. And if after a week you decide it's not for you, then um, you can unsubscribe, no questions asked. And if not, then you can just stick with it and, and, and try it out. So that's, um, that's our plug. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on, Let's move on with the... Uh, with today's topic, I want to know what it is. All right,
2: t- Today's topic, super interesting. I think maybe these guys will hate it and I'll get a sound effect. But I'll tell you where this topic came from. So I had a meeting with the publisher last week and we were just talking about books that I've illustrated and, and the stories that I've been getting offered and kind of what's on my plate right now, planning for next year. And I was saying that t- t- when I was talking to her that I'm not getting the kind of stories that I like to illustrate. And then, so we started talking about. She's, you know, she said a very simple question: What stories do you want to tell? And it was so good; it opened up just such an interesting conversation that I thought that would be the topic of our podcast. So it's the stories that we tell.
1: Mm.
2: All right. So since I just just hammered you guys with the new topic, and you're going to need to kind of add some framework, um, I thought I would start with just a little bit of research about plots and and and. Basic story structures that kind of permeate um, underneath, you know, all the details like characters and all that stuff. So I found mm-hmm. a couple of different things we can talk about first, and then I'll have some questions for you guys, and we can just we can just banter. Sounds
0: okay, cute. that sounds cool. All right, yeah, here I'm we
2: go. Okay, so and these these lists are found with the absolute worst level of Google research, by the way. It's like me typing in kinds <laughs> of stories, and like the first thing that comes up. <laughs> <laughs> really, really yeah thank you <laughs> i don't think i even got to page two all i needed was something just to kind of uh throw something out but just to have something to start with and we can either agree with it or disagree okay here we go 10 recurring themes in children's stories 10 basic themes in children's stories uh sends the details so i'll go through them 10 of them. one courage friendship belonging and identity family loss and grief, growing up, anger, suffering, <laughs> jealousy, and love. So those are kind of the kind of the backstory to what they're saying, like the 10 basic themes in children's book are, and that most books fall along that. I thought those were a little more serious than some of the books that I've seen, and I don't think all of them fall along that. So I needed to dig a little bit more. So I went down to the next Google result, and got okay. the seven, seven basic plot points um, of storytelling. This, this is, I'm going to give credit here, uh, a guy named Christopher Booker came up with these. He's got a book titled The Seven Basic Plots. Um, his are, the basic plot points are overcoming the monster or overcoming some big thing that you haven't been able to do before, rags to riches, voyage and return, the quest... I don't understand the difference between a quest and a voyage in return, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Comedy, tragedy, and rebirth. Um, And then there was, there was a couple of little definitions that went along with those. Um, So I'll, I'll read those out too. So the rags to riches is a story that follows a rise in happiness. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't actually have to be money based, I guess is what it's saying. Um, Tragedy or riches to rags, so that's one that fall, follows a fall in happiness over the course of the story. The man in a hole, which is a, uh, it starts with a fall and ends with a rise. The Icarus model, which is a rise and then obviously a fall. You guys know the Icarus story. Mm-hmm. Cinderella is rise, fall, and rise. Don't understand that, so we can dissect that in a second maybe. Um, and Oedipus, which is fall, rise, and then followed by a fall. So that's kind of the general stories. And I thought it was interesting because if you compare the first list, the 10 recurring themes like courage and friendship and family and such, and then look at the structures that I just listed out, they a lot of them do actually start to follow those kind of plot points. If you kind of combine those lists together. How do you guys feel about those lists, by the way? Do you think they're accurate?
0: Yeah, yeah I think... I think there's they're pretty good actually. The the four different plots that that I usually can categorize things in are um, winning, escaping, stopping, or retrieving, mm. and that's usually like the mode of action that that the characters are involved in in all of them. So if you think about the children's books, let's look at like <clears throat> let's look at you know a handful of the most well-known children's book. So what's the most well-known children's book? It's um, you know,
1: know, Where the Warthons well. Are.
0: Right? And what that is, is Max is escaping. Right. He's got this life and he's got to get away from it. And I think to go to your, um, the, or whatever it was that you, that you Googled, <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it? it was, Hold on, I'm, I'm
2: going to email it to you right now so you have the list in front of you. I should have probably done that.
0: Yeah, welcome to S- the uh, Two the <laughs> Perspective Podcast, where all of the work is done during the podcast. <laughs> where zero preparation happens before we hit record. That's <laughs> why <how> we're <laughs>
2: flying by the seat of our pants. That's why
0: it's exciting. All right, I just emailed but, you that that list. But, yeah, there's things like um, uh, you know, the, the not the rise and the well, there's a rise and a the fall. There's um, there's a return and there's. Uh, a leaving and a returning right those different levels um so yeah i think what you have there is is several different ways you can categorize and,
2: and pull let's, it let's talk about some of the stories that, that you've done jake since you are are solo mm-hmm. in the fact that you've got a couple of self uh, or, or books that are published that you actually wrote and illustrated let's look at like the sparrow is that what that one's called the robot and the sparrow
0: yeah little bot and sparrow
2: little bot that's right god see? Mm-hmm. No planning all at right. all. Uh, it's a robot. I could I just say, hey, did you draw that robot? And that's like 90% of your work. And then just add the sparrow. Okay. So, um, which, what plot would you think that would fall? Like, what's, what's the basis of that? Why'd you write that?
0: Yeah. So, that plot was about, um, I, I guess, the, the, the gist of the story, because I don't think many of the people listening to it have read it, but the gist of it is a, a robot. Falls from this guy, lands in a forest. Uh, can't remember his life before. Is remembers that his life before was all working. He was like a, a service bot. And now for the first time he gets to rest. And now he's exploring this whole new world. He's spent his entire life on this ship being a service bot. And immediately he makes friends with the Sparrow. And the Sparrow teaches him all about the woods, the forest, and how things work. And then when winter comes, the Sparrow leaves... And the robot wants to go with the sparrow, wants to be with her, but he can't. And so he figures out um, kind of a way to live without her. Uh, he remembers the times that they had together. And for the first time, you know, this is set up earlier in the book where he wonders what dreaming is. And the sparrow's like, it's, you know, it's, it's something that you do when you rest and when you sleep. I and mean, he's something left for the birds and at the end of the story the robot dreams for the first time and in his dream he's flying with the sparrow and so I guess with that I guess some of the themes that that flow through that story is friendship, belonging and dealing with loss or grief Mm -hmm. Um, so there's those things as far as plot lines it would probably be something like a version of rags to riches maybe uh, uh, a very subtle version of that where the little little bot has nothing but then has everything in this friendship with um, with the sparrow. Uh, if we if we go to my four that I suggested um, to, to then escape to stop and to retrieve probably be you know I think those ones so here's the thing when you're talking about stories and plot like I feel like plot is something you apply to like a bigger story or a longer story, a story that has a three act structure. Not that Mm -hmm. a child can't have a three act structure and can't have a plot, but I feel like most of the children's books I read it's a problem that needs to be solved in a creative way that it's solved. You know, like the setup, here's the life that we live. <laughs> he's,
1: he's typing to me, telling me to cut you off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm listening. Right I'm, could you hear that? Because normally, once you're away from my mic, it's like completely falling. No, out.
0: we got it all. Oh, it sounded like you had your mic, you're Angrily. punching the keys with Angrily. the
2: mic. <laughs> I do. Actually, it's just a sound effect to make me sound busy.
1: <laughs> you know what, Jake, the, uh, the late Rick Walton, he, that was, if you ever asked him how do you write a children's book, that was his answer. Uh, come up with a, an interesting problem with a creative solution. And it sounds so simple and it's so freaking hard.
2: Well, it's it's really hard, but I, I want to talk about more than just like long stories, like Jake is talking about. Like once you have a bigger story arc, then you start getting into these some of these details. But why we, is there is there themes that that you just like to paint, and and what do you generally, how do you come up when there's no client? What kind of things do you, what kind of images do you want to make naturally, and wh- why do you think that is? And I,
1: I love that question, and I haven't talked to you before. Like one of your, I know one of your theories, Lee, is that for any student, when you get an assignment in school, you can, you should be able to be creative enough or you should teach yourself to be creative enough to figure out what you want to paint and then fit it into that assignment, right? It rather than, like when I would have students, that I'd give them, I'd give them an assignment and they're like, oh, I don't like this one. I'm like, you just heard it. You don't even know. What the possibilities are you know so when i hear you say that question i think um what you're what i hear is what what images do i want to make and how can i write a story around that is that kind of what you're saying
2: yeah yeah so i'll give you an example like like i was just thinking about what plots do i enjoy painting because you know no matter what the characters are the details in a scene there seems to be a thread through the work, whether it's a singular image or the full stories that I'm writing. And so I kind of stepped back when I was preparing for this podcast, and I was like looking at it as, as a bigger picture kind of thing. And I've noticed a couple of themes that generally happen in the work that I both I like to draw, but also the work that I like to watch or that I like to read. And so I, I was thinking about movies that I like. And so one of the, the base themes that I liked, that I kind of picked out of this soup of things that I was looking at was... Kids that do or find something magical or out of the ordinary, um, and then they do, and then that drives the problem. And there's a couple of examples of that, like Goonies, um, E.T., and the Iron Giant are perfect examples of that. So finding something magical, I love that idea of of something being in an attic, like like kids going up to the attic, finding some kind of key, trying to find what that key goes to and and, you know it just unlocks all this stuff no no pun intended with the key um and it just kind of sets up these sort of realistic stories but but have a hint of magic like i'm not interested in whole worlds that are magic like where the whole thing is crazy it's just like normal real life but then one thing that's out of place and that and that didn't i do that i draw that a lot i found if i kind of back up and look at that as a as a structure you know without
0: the details. So so. Goonies over Harry Potter, right? Like Harry Potter would be too much magic, too much of a world. I,
2: I liked Harry Potter though, because it, it it did start to do that where it basically you take a a what is a normal setting and then you introduce the normal character into the magical setting. And so that was really fun to kind of see. But I didn't I didn't love Harry Potter like other people did, although I I liked what I liked about Harry Potter was the details, not the actual story. Like I liked going to get the books and and buy the magic wand. I don't know why. I just loved like all those like little day-to-day things and, you know, being in class and seeing what they're studying. Like I like those details more than the Voldemort and all that. I didn't care about that.
1: Mm. I see.
0: So that's interesting. So it sounds like the, the way I see it for creators is you have three different kinds of creators. You have creators who are in love with world building You have creators who are in love with character building and you have creators who are in love with plot building, right? And usually, depending on what kind of story it is, you can see that one of those things is is first and foremost as, I guess, the draw for the person creating it and also, like, the hook for people coming into that. And you need all three to make any any story. You need all three. Um, But I think what it is is, like, you find out what your strengths are and what your interests are. And that's your way into building, building that story. So it might be like, for me, I love world building. I love just like, like what you're saying, like what's the, um, you know, how, what's the mechanics of how this world works? Well, if their kids go to school, they need to go shop for school supplies. Well, where does a wizard shop for school supplies in diagonal, that right. And so, um, and so that's all world building a character. Person, person who loves characters would never even think of that first. What they would be thinking is I've got this boy who um, is an orphan and all he wants to do is figure out who his parents are. Oh, and by the way, he's the most powerful wizard ever, you know, ever born. Um, and so how does that boy deal with, you know, all this pressure of being that, but still like wanting to figure out, um, you know, the, the most core aspect of his personal life and that's who who he is who his parents were you know why he's uh, put in this position this position that he's in and then you have the other thing which is plot okay so maybe a person who is in love with plot and cares about plot comes into the story that way like they don't know who their character is per se they don't know who the world is but they're just thinking i've got this um bad guy who wants to you know, who's been banished and wants to come back and take over, you know, take over the world. And I've got this other character. That's the only one that's going to stop him. And the way that he's going to stop him, you know, or the way the bad guy is going to do that is he's going to um, uh, possess the body of someone, you know, who's unsuspecting and nobody suspects. And they're going in and they're figuring out all that plot stuff. Like how's the mystery solved? And, and that's the, their way into it. So I think for you as a creator, once you understand what your needs are and what your desires are, you can use that as sort of your anchor and then build off of that. So start with your plot. If you're a plot person, figure out your characters, add them in there, build out that world. The fear and the problem, I think with, with uh, going about this that way anyway, is that the thing you love, you might love too much and it becomes too much of a focus. So I, I know I've fallen into this trap before, but I've, I've known other people who all they do is world build and they're just happy to like, Get down to the minutia of what are the flags like. What are all the flags designed to look like for all the countries in this world that I'm building? You know, one well, that's it's really not important or central to maybe the experience that most people are looking for when they want to experience your, your story. But um, uh, sometimes you get so hung up with that that you forget to write a story. And you forget to figure out who your characters are.
2: I have two. I have two plot points that I noticed that not necessarily in children's books kind of stuff, but just in in movies and and like a little bit older media that I love to see, and that is bad characters that are forced to do something good. Absolutely mm-hmm. love that. Or good characters that are forced to do something really bad. Like examples of that would be like Breaking Bad, um, where you got a normal guy who's just kind of forced just by circumstance into this scenario where he has to act bad, but he's not ju- actually a bad person. But maybe you know, in the case of Breaking Bad, he becomes. That, um, have you guys seen the new get shorty series?
1: I've, I've seen the title, but it's funny that I, I thought of breaking bad as soon as you said that.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a classic one, but it, the, 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 get shorty one is kind of an idea that kind of a bad character that's forced to do something good. You got this guy with gangsters and at some point he wants to break away from being a gangster and do something legitimate, but it's his nature to be bad. And so he is kind of a Jack Skellington kind of thing where he's trying to do something good, but just his nature mm-hmm. is bad. And so he brings that to it. It's just—it's just infinitely interesting writing that kind of an angle to a character, versus what I can't stand. And like a lot of the reason I hate superhero movies, I know this is where we might argue. <laughs> I, I don't like superheroes because they're—they're they're too. Uh, the characters are all good or they're all bad. I mean, that's the one thing that I liked about the Batman series is that, or, or the 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 Heath Ledger Batman, is that kind of brought both into that into that realm and, and I like that so much better than a character that wants to take over right. the world
1: it, that's one of my main problems with fiction is when it's not believable um, it loses me and uh, so yeah I, I'm with you on the like. I, I love superhero movies when they're really good and I can't stand to be in the theater when they're not and unfortunately you're going to hate me Jake but I, I for me they're batting like 20 or 30%
2: yeah, I would agree but, with that.
1: But, but what? Sorry, Jay. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, when you say not believable, um, you are judging those movies on rules that the movies aren't even trying to play by. So, in Will's world, like it's unbelievable for I don't know um, a multi-millionaire to design to also be a genius and design his own robot. No right?
1: that's. I know that's happened somewhere on <laughs> the planet. We just haven't seen Iron Man Iron flying, around flying around yet. What's un- <laughs> that is unbelievable. Like, what, is un- what do you mean, what, what's not believable? Um, it, It's hard to put into words, but like, um, well, I don't like it when the superheroes are too powerful. When you just give them, like, magic. It's like, magic is the answer, like Superman. Now, we've had this discussion before. We don't need to go off in the weeds. You know that I won that argument. But... Uh, you know like the whole idea of just oh this is how we're going to solve everything in the end magic I, I don't like that but um, I I really like what, like what you said you're, really,
0: you're backtracking on this on the super
1: sorry thing. I, I really enjoy what Lee said uh, about um, characters that find themselves they're reluctant heroes or they're anti heroes or they're um, they find themselves in a situation where they have to dig deep I mean I really like the hero's journey. Um, and so and, and most of those i would say those superhero movies kind of follow that and some of them are great like some of the spider-mans I've, I've i've been you know really entertained by like i said iron man's my favorite one um because like tony stark you know you mentioned him uh that's uh, who i think you were alluding to and uh, you know in the first one the first movie that they had he found himself a victim and had to had to go back to the basics of what he knew which was tinkering and he tinkered his way out of uh, of the problem then he and then he he, you know he changed his his morals changed a little bit so
0: i think what you're saying like it's not that you can't handle unbelievability it's that if a if a story sets up certain rules and say this is how the world works in this universe and then they break those rules. right, right. It's just, that's, it's just, that's what's it's upsetting, upsetting to you because i think you could you could enjoy a, a superman movie if the superman movie you know set up specific rules and yes. this is how this character is going to behave and act and these are the, the limits of his powers and we're going to play within that we're not going to solve any of the problems by you know Two sex Machina, right? Where something yeah. just comes out of nowhere
1: and, and saves the day. Um, they, you'd be okay with that. Yeah. Now, why are we talking about movies so much when we're trying to talk about children's books?
2: Well, let's, we'll <laughs> go back to that in just one second. We we're veering a little bit, but I think it's an interesting conversation. I'm going to say one more thing, little little side thing. So the Aquaman movie is coming out pretty soon. I've always thought Aquaman... I don't know how they're going to make a movie about him. Um, he's the worst superhero, in my opinion, because... If you think about, like, 80%, let's say, I'm just making this number up, but 80% of, you know, world tragic events due to the supervillains happen outside of the water. Like, every time if they're all sitting around and something happens, Aquaman would have to be, would be forced to say, hey, wait, is that in the ocean? And then when they say no, he'd be like, all right, I'll see you guys in a couple of days. (laughs) He's got to he has no power.
0: Yeah, that is kind of so, but... (laughs) I think the thing with aquaman what's, what's kind of cool about him is um i mean the, the planet is covered what 70 percent with water you know the majority of the planet is water there's more water than than um than land and we actually know more about the surface of the moon and the surface of mars than we do the bottoms of our oceans so i think there's i think there's this is just a defense for aquaman i think there's a lot. You could no, there's a lot room of-
2: there. If there's a problem in the ocean, Aquaman is the guy. But I'm just saying most of the time for the Super Friends just in terms of his day-to-day clocking in as a superhero, he's going to be left out of the mix.
0: Okay. Okay. So
2: that- <laughs> so will, let me get back, back on track to what what do you like to paint? If like if I've given you I said, hey, I'm going to have a gallery show, and I just want you to paint something. Um, what kind of stories do you generally go to, not necessarily in full books, but just kind of what, what kind of permeates the images that you make? Is there a theme?
1: I mean, I I ask myself this question all the time because my ultimate goal is to become author-illustrator. You know, the author straighter uh, as uh, Mark Pett
2: said. Wow. Um,
1: <laughs> and I think... I mean, some of the books that I've I've written. Well, I mean, I uh, I wrote some uh, along with Rick Walton, the the Gary's Place and Gary's Worms book, and I on that one, which which was the um, iPad app story app with animation and stuff. And on that one, I asked myself, "What do I want to paint?" I you know, blank slate. And that was a time when I was going through uh, the the rough financial patch of 2008, where we were losing our home, and and I was going on my walks every day and asking myself these big questions of like, you know, how did I get to, to this low place? And now I was really kind of in a, a low emotional state. But through that, I think when you when you go through hard things and those changes, it actually changes your art. And for me, one of the things, uh, I mean, this is exactly where Gary's Place came from. I, I started thinking of all the money that my wife and I had earned over the years and that we had wasted and, and wasted on dumb things, you know, um, like, like, like just material possessions that we didn't need. And if if I could just have all that money back again, and we, we you know, we, had, we had bought a house that was too big. We didn't need it. Um, we were, we were thinking, you know, that it might be an investment that we could make money on down the road, but we had all these rooms and I, I started thinking, and that's basically the story of Gary's place, which was, Um, what if this gopher you know you know we think of gophers digging holes what if this gopher decided to dig his first hole and then he was unsatisfied so he dug a side hole and made another room and you know maybe he had a a a little a little office and then you know maybe he wanted a bathroom and so it's you see this cutaway developing through the app where he's just a builder he's just motivated to keep going and and have excess, and he, he builds a game room, and he builds a pool room, and he builds a sauna, and he just builds all kinds of rooms. And I'm and the whole time I'm thinking of these McMansions that, that we buy, um, you know, that, that became popular in the 90s. And, you know, why? Why do we feel like we need more and more and more and more and more? And finally, uh, the climax of the book, he, he digs too far. He digs sideways into a little pond and, and the water rushes in and ruins everything. And that was kind of my, um, I mean, the, the analogy there was, you know, I'm losing my home, you know, and, and that's where that story came from. So I th- I think to answer the question in a roundabout way, I think, I think you have to come up with the story first. I don't think that you can... I don't think you can necessarily say. Well, let me back up. I think you can. I think you can get into the the genre of what you want to paint, but then you really have to dive into the story and perfect the story before you really start drawing. And I, the reason I say that is I, I've seen a lot of illustrators, um, up and coming illustrators, and they're they're not selling their stories. You know, they've they've done all these amazing drawings. They've locked themselves into all this amazing art, and the story's not good. And the, you know, we we go to workshop it, and they put all this effort into that into that artwork. Um, and we've got a fire engine going by outside, but you, they put all that effort into that to the to the art, and then they realize as you're trying to critique the story, or as they're getting help from, you know, so, you know maybe a visiting editor at a conference or something they become very resistant to, to making those changes and because they put all that value in the artwork. And so to me, you can, you can say, well, I want to write a story that happens in the wintertime. Okay. Well then you start thinking, what kinds of things do you like? And maybe that starts to lead to you thinking of characters and what are those characters doing? And um, I think like you were alluding to this, Jake, you can be, be a, a world building type person. You can build be a character person, whatever it is, you have to, you have to eventually come up with that problem that you're going to solve, right? And that might take you in a, in a direction. I think you have to be open to the fact that it could take you in a direction where you don't actually get to paint the thing that you set out to want to paint, don't you think? Right, you have to be in service of the story? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's hard to, hard to do that. I mean, it's hard to find. Do you Do you guys find... What, what part of coming up with stories and, and kind of pulling them out of the... Hayes and getting him down on paper is the hardest for you guys. Is is it coming up with the idea or is it the details of or is it the actual for me it's the actual words. I realize like I come up with stories a lot and fairly easily. Um and I can come up with the images fairly easily at this point too. But the actually writing the how a story starts and how a story ends is so incredibly difficult. Like I understand why they lived happily ever after yeah. is an ending. Because it's just so hard to end something in a satisfying way, but not in a cliche way.
0: Well, I think one of the methods there is to figure out a nice resolution for your mm-hmm. story um, and then work backwards. I love that. I think
1: that's that's got to be how some of the Seinfeld episodes were written. It's I think so.
0: I think I think what it, what it is is the, the resolution is ultimately like the last taste in your mouth from that story, and everything needs to like come together. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a little I think there's a little bit of back and forth. Like gonna, I know that I want the story to be about this, but I think instead of thinking of how does it start, think about how it ends, and then uh, reverse engineer that ending. And a lot of times, what you can do is get really satisfying story if I go
2: about it that way. Do you guys find that when you're writing for children that you overcomplicate or over sophisticate um, stories a little bit? I guess where I'm going with that is I it's one of the critiques that I tend to get is I like stories that are a little more serious and a little more quiet, which are already pulls them away from the kind of children's genre. And then uh, and then they're they they're a little bit too complicated and I look at I look at somebody who's who is you know award-winning writer illustrator like Mo Willems for example like pigeon don't let pigeon drive the bus it's so funny I would love to do something I mean there is do you think there's a story there is there a story there or is it just kind of funny banter
1: I've had that problem but I've also had the opposite problem where I write like I'm looking in my folder on my computer of all the books the stories that I've written that are unpublished that I that I want to go back in and I'm like I'm looking at some of these ideas, going, man? Why didn't I work on that more?" But anyway, I sometimes I have the opposite problem where I've got a story here that's called "I poop you," <laughs> and so it's super simple. It'll never get published because it's totally irreverent, and it's like I can't. It would be totally <clears throat> offensive, but basically, it's like all these animals, you know, and they work up the food chain, and each one poops out the other one. <laughs> wow yeah. i did
2: not see that cover. so
1: see that's that's on the other end of the scale <laughs> that one's just there to remind me like what not to do i don't think?
2: know man because some sometimes when you deal with that subject matter it becomes internationally successful i mean kids love that stuff for some reason kids love like anytime we're reading no david by david shannon mm-hmm. the only Page that my son really laughs at is the page where he's running in his underwear. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's just that kind of you know childish thing that kids love. Well,
0: I think with like, don't let the pigeon drive the bus, and I want my hat back. And you know, a lot of these, a lot of these children's books is you, you have to think. I think the story is more along the lines of a really good joke, in that. A joke is simplified, it's pared down, it's something that can be told, you know, in a a couple paragraphs, and there's always, like, a good punchline at the end, right? There's a setup, there's this misdirection, and then a punchline. I think that's why a lot of these, um, you know, these funnier, uh, funnier, like, humor children's books kind of work is because it's a a version of a joke. So I think that's one like avenue that you have in in trying to create stories. Think about some of your favorite jokes, you know, I'm not talking like a knock-knock joke, but story jokes. And you look at that and the the structure there and the sparsity there, um, but where every element is absolutely necessary. um, That's what you're getting with some of these, some of these children's books. And so it may not be like a full story, but it is an experience that the children are having. Like, no, David, you know, it's very loosely a story, but there's this interaction, this engagement that's happening page by page by page. And then finally this resolution where um, I'm she, she, mom gives him a hug at the end, something like that.
2: Yeah, that's That's how it ends. Yeah, he's basically been in trouble the whole book. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of a resolution. So it doesn't look like he's just like a hated child or like a, a monster. But, John, Cl- I like what you said about um, I Want My Hat Back. I never thought about that as as being almost a, an illustrated joke. But it is, in a way. Like, like that punchline that falls on the very last page. If you change that last page, the entire book is not satisfying. Mm. And that's a great ending. That means that that ending is, like, super solid. A little bit – I love it because it's also – a little bit macabre in a a way. Like I love Edward Gorey and and that ending reminds me of, you know, Edward Gorey-esque kind Mm -hmm. of storytelling. But it's so simple and I get so jealous because, I mean, on every page of that book, it's, have you seen my hat? You know, I mean, it's the smallest of text. And then, you know, but then also when I I sometimes submit simple stories to editors like that, publishers, and I'll get back you know, story questions like what's the motivation of this character to do that? And then I write in a motivation. And then they're like, well, you know, how did, how did he why does he think this? And then I write that. And like it seems like my editors for some reason want that kind of over complication. And then they say at the end it's too complicated and I need to edit it. <laughs> so it's been frustrating <laughs> to try to figure out how to how to navigate those waters. And I mean writing a simple, short book that's satisfying is very, very difficult to mm. do.
0: Yeah. I think, too, you can also look at, like, Seuss's work. And his work is a lot deeper, um, you know, than the face value, right? And so a lot of, like, a lot of the, um, the things that he was writing about, you know, his background was a political cartoonist. And I think he brought that into his Jones books as well. You look at something like Horton Hears a Who, where I think the commentary there was, uh, he was trying to defend Japan post-war, saying, you know, a country is a country, no matter how small, and it should be protected, and it should be allowed to, to grow and, and to thrive and prosper, right? That's what the message was there. And you also look at, like, Cat in the Hat, is like his, you know, his message about authoritarianism and how... That should be, you know, just his commentary on what that is. Yeah, and oh, the l-
2: Lorax too. I mean, with the environmental stuff, right. he's it's so good, exactly and he's right. he's so good at weaving that stuff and make a story that's interesting and on two levels.
0: The danger there, if you go about creating a story that way, the danger there is to become too didactic, and that's that's a note that I've I've gotten before from editors and, and things that I've ta- you know heard talking to editors is that. They like having a message. They like having you know some some sort of deeper meaning to it. But it can't you can't hit a person over the head with it. It can't be like so in your face. And so Seuss is really good about letting that be um, very beneath the surface, deep beneath the surface, where you get you get it, but it's not the first read. You know, it's not the first thing. You
1: quick do quick story on that. Have you ever heard Rick Walton talk about? or when he was alive uh, talk about um, the super famous author that he would, he would share this uh, story at different conferences. Um, The, the romance novelist, does this ring a bell at all? So there was a super famous, everyone would know this person's name and um, in respect to him and her, I won't bring out the name, but it's a, it's a name that you've seen on the bookshelves and I mean in, the smallest of bookstores i mean it's it's in every everywhere and this this woman so she's known for writing romance novels but she's also a grandmother and so she wrote this manuscript <laughs> and his it was getting passed around at her publisher who was also rick's publisher and so he begged and got a copy of it swearing that he would never re, you know reveal it and anyway <laughs> the this this author wrote a children's book about a kid running out in the road and almost getting hit by a car, and and in the middle of the book she went into, and kids should never run into the road because they could get hurt and getting hurt would be bad and parents would lose their kids and it was it was not a story it, it turned into and you're like oh she, or one of her grandkids ran out in the road and almost got hit by a car. And so she's trying to write this children's book that's extremely preachy and it doesn't work. You know, that's, it's not a story, even if you're a big name. So the the funny thing is the publisher published a, f- a few, you know, published, uh, technically quote unquote published it because she was such a big name and she forced it through, but it never really sold anywhere, you know?
2: Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> The preachy stories are the ones I like the, the least. And a lot of, it seems like a lot of beginning writers start, you know, when they say, oh, I'm going to write a children's story, that, it, it come, that preachiness for some reason, or not the preachiness, but the lesson that somebody needs to right. learn
1: There's a lot of time the driving force. Beating, uh, beating your reader over the head with, with it doesn't, it's never going to work. Um, yeah, people don't, that's not why people grab a book. It's like, yeah, I want to get preached to.
2: Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Figure out what I'm doing right. wrong. <laughs> and let me ask you guys this. Um, unless you want to add anything to, the, to that, Jake, do you want to? No, that's good. All right. Um, do you guys have, what were your favorite books um, growing up? And, and what was the poll? Like, why why would you pick what like, if I say your top three books, why are they your top three books? Why do you remember them now so many years later?
1: I can give you one real quick, off right off the bat. My mom used to read the Francis books to us. Do you know, you know those. I think yeah, they were yeah. gophers or something like that. <laughs> um, and one in particular, I don't know why it hit me. I think it's because I was fighting with my sister at the time. Like I, my middle sister, the I used, used to have the worst relationship with her. And in this book, her the the two little gophers, the brother was mean to the sister. And in the book, it gave it. It it spoke from the, the the girl's perspective and how she was feeling, you know. And it, it, in the story, it, it it showed that she was she was actually she actually loved the brother and she was going to do something nice for him. I can't even remember what it was. And and he was mean to her. Um, and man, it really hit me. And I it took to the point where I just remembered, like I'm the bad guy. Like I, like this book has just revealed to me that I'm the bad guy. And it was, it was, it was powerful. It's been powerful through my whole life, you know? Wow. Yeah, that, that's,
2: and, and you actually realized that back yeah. then
1: that it's you. Yeah. That's amazing. It made self-reflect. And, uh, and I think that's one of the, the powerful things we yeah. have. But again, on that, on that story, it, I don't believe that it set out to teach as powerful a lesson as it did. I think it's just, there was a lot of books in that series and it was, a. Uh, it was just a good story, and, and and really that's that's how you can and Rick Walton used to talk about. I, t- I mentioned him a lot, but it's because he was such a guru and he taught uh, how to write children's books class at BYU, and and, um, and and that's one of the things that he was very strong on is like you can set out like let, let's say his, his advice was if you set out to um, to, to to teach a lesson, that's fine. You want to teach a certain lesson, however, and you mentioned this earlier, Lee. In being a slave to the story, if you have to make the right decisions to make the story good, takes you away from that lesson. You go with the story. It's almost like he would say it would be an accident to t- to teach a good lesson. Right. You know what I mean.
2: That's good, Jake. What do you? What do you? Do you any books you remember growing up?
1: Yeah, so this,
0: this kind of throws the, the story thing out the window, but <laughs> I was a big fan of uh, Richard Scary mm-hmm. and also um, Where's Waldo? Uh, just big, big page books that I could go through. And there's another book that I love that I just wore out that was just about the human body. It's all the different pieces of the human body, all the ins and outs and all the components and all the, the things. So like those books would I mean, I was, I found Where's Waldo like when I was past the age of children's books, but I still admired, when I was probably 10, I still admired like the art- artistry that went, to, went into that. And, um, and so it was always like these books that just had, the, very the, the loosest story of that but it was more like here's the world through the lens of this um of these uh you know this this author this illustrator and especially with like richard Scarry, just showing all the different cars <laughs> the you know what's uh, you know
2: what's super interesting about that to me that you say that is that i pulled up his uh you know richard scary's uh, cars trucks and things that go book and mm-hmm. it, it looks like a early template for the poster you just did for Inktober. Oh, right. I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> it's almost the exact same world, just, you know, your version of it, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, nice. you don't, <laughs> the leaf doesn't fall far from the tree. Is that how it goes? Yeah. The fruit?
2: Fruit, apple. fruit
0: doesn't get eaten by the right <laughs> number.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, though. but I mean, it's funny because these things are set up you know, maybe in our in our youth, that really do stick with us, and that's why I think the field that we chose is so powerful. And that's kind of the that's what I, my my ultimate dream for this job is to, in thirty years, be listening to the radio and have somebody say that my book was the one, you know, that mm-hmm. they remember and that did something. I mean, the, both those things that you just said have set up, you know, very powerful things in your life, you know, and 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 that's 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 huge. You know, when I think back to the one that I. If if I just had to pick one out of my youth um, book, matter of fact, I only really remember like two or three, but uh, but this one stands out. Do you ever see the pink elephant with golden spots?
0: Mm, yeah, no.
2: It's a great book. I don't. I'm gonna Google it real quick because um, I don't even know who wrote it or anything. Um, but that hit me up for a number of reasons. One, I loved as a kid. I loved um, I loved elephants. Like every single year up until when I was probably 11. When I would, For Christmas and birthday, my mom and dad would ask what I want for Christmas. And it was always an elephant. And then I was always dejected because I couldn't, and I don't mean a stuffed elephant or a toy. I wanted the real thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was consistent through my whole life. And so pretty soon, finally, they gave me a stuffed animal that was like six feet tall. That was an mm-hmm. elephant, and I was just in heaven. But it still wasn't a real one. Um, let's see, I'm clicking on it now. So I loved Elephants anyway. Um,
1: who wrote this yeah, thing? Yeah, I, I haven't seen this before. It's, it's,
2: a, it's a big golden book, um, but it actually doesn't have the writer on. That's because they
1: had horrible the contracts. Co-
2: <laughs> it's true. It's more for hire. Um, but it's funny because I'm looking at the cover now. I haven't seen it in years. Uh, and there's these two keys. There's these kids playing on this pink elephant golden spots. And there's these keys over in the corner. And that's the kind of thing that I love now. And I don't know if this was the impetus for it or not. But So what happens is these kids go into this old house. They find a wardrobe that's been left in the house. I don't know why they're in an empty house by themselves anyway. But they they get the key. They um, realize that they can wish for anything out of this wardrobe once they open it up. And so one kid wishes for... Uh, like a giant cake. And then the next kid jumps in and he wishes for this sports car. And I remember the sports car coming out of the wardrobe and it just being so awesome. And, you know, it had a big globe on top and it could go anywhere in the world. And then the last person wishes for a pink elephant with golden spots and it breaks the wardrobe like the elephant comes out. And yeah. they don't know what to do with it. It's, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, a couple of interesting little plot points in the story about what they're going to do with this elephant now that they have him. But they end up giving him to a zoo. And at first, he's super embarrassed, so they paint him, gr- that they don't even want him because he's so weird, and so they paint him gray, and uh, everything's working out okay, he starts to make friends with the other elephants, and then it finally, it rains, and all the gray washes off, and the pink spots come out, and he, they all laugh at him, but then all of a sudden, all the crowds at the zoo want to see the pink elephant golden spots, so all the other elephants try to paint themselves with paisleys and plaids and all this stuff. It's a great images in the book where they're all painted up and they're, uh, you know, trying to, trying to match his popularity and his uniqueness, but then it rains again and, and their paint, you know, comes off at the end. Everybody just kind of, the, I guess the, the lesson behind it is that, you know, you're what makes you unique and, um, can make you great because is, is a great thing because it separates you in some way. Uh, but they also learn to live together. But like you were saying, it's not a heavy handed lesson. It's one that serves the story. Um, and it was just so good. It had everything I like. It had a magic element. It had an elephant in it. Um, and then it was, and then just really interesting visuals. And I, I still remember that one to this day. it's like, I, it's, I cherish that, that book and there's no other book that comes close, you know, and I look at the stories I'm writing and they're, similar to that and so i don't know you know how deep this stuff influences us but i think it's pretty deep
1: i think it i think these things stay with you for the rest of your life i mean i i could think of another one right now is the i wish i had duck feet and it's which is a dr seuss you guys have seen that one right i don't know that
2: one no i gotta look it up
1: um lee this is like the reason that i i'm who i am and and you don't know this book (laughs) (laughs) Everything about me, I wish that in I... book.
2: Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm looking it <laughs> okay, up. Okay,
1: let me tell you why this one had such an impact on me. It's because every kid, like when you go into do a school visit, right? You guys have all done elementary school visits with your illustration, right? Lee? You haven't?
2: I'm terrified really? of an elementary school.
1: No, this, is a, this is a podcast <laughs> episode all on its own.
2: Let's just move on. I can't open.
1: The- you know what you, do? you <laughs> go, um, Your entrance needs to just be a belly slide. Just come out and do a belly slide. <laughs> I would do that. I love that.
2: Sounds fun. <laughs> well, I did.
1: That's neat. Okay, so there, we all have unique things about us, but uh, okay. So anyway, you go to a school visit, and and I, you know, you channel yourself when you were sitting there on the in the auditorium floor, the, the cafeteria floor. And every kid is treated the same, and you want to stand out. You know, you, you raise your hand higher when, when a question is asked. You, you want your classmates to value you and think that you have something special about you, right? You, did you guys feel this way? Or am I alone? I mean, no, like, for sure. Everybody wants to find out what they're good at in life, and they want other people to acknowledge it, and they want other people to accept them. I mean, acceptance is a huge part of being human, right? And I think that's what, to me, that's what I wish that I had duck feet is all about. Because now this kid, he gets the, he gets, uh, he basically daydreams this, you know, if he had duck feet and it's kind of a list book because it kind of goes through. um, Well, then I could do this. And then if I had this ability, I could do this. And all of a sudden he's like wishing for all these different abilities. And at first... Everybody in the town or at school is just amazed at what he can do, you know. And I think that's that satisfies the dream that we all have of being unique. But but then as the book progresses, he gets too much of what he wants. He becomes a freak, (laughs) (laughs) and then he becomes the bad guy. And then he realizes, like, oh yeah, I'm trying to be special, or I'm trying. You know, all these wishes might not be a good thing. I mean, it really takes you through, as a young kid, through a lot of thought processes of of um, prediction and imagination and and how things could turn out. And it that's another book that stayed with me forever. And in fact, the illustration that I did, I, I wrote a story um, unpublished um, about a little girl. And some of you might have seen this on my... Um, on my website portfolio, willterry um, <laughs> of a little girl oh, wow. that's driving a, a mechanical robot contraption that she made. You know, and that comes straight from this book. You know, it's it's the being unique at school, being the the hero of the school. You know, which is what I think a lot of people want. Mm-hmm. I mean.
2: That's awesome. I gotta check this one out. I haven't, haven't seen it. Um, Jake, speaking of of robot, where you know robots permeate your work. Um, where does that come from? How when did you start doing that and being interested in that?
0: Yeah, the, the what is that? I think it's because I got into uh, Japanese manga in high school, and there's a couple of artists that really influenced me. One was Yukito Kishiro, who drew Battle Angel Alita, which is about an android. This, with a human head but like a robot body and then there was Appleseed which was um, just full of robots and in the back of Appleseed uh, was Shiro was the artist who drew Appleseed he would do like breakdowns of some of the robot designs so like cutaways and show what what, you know how things worked and, and stuff like that and so in high school I was like just enthralled by that stuff and so I started drawing my own robots and And I've been doing that stuff ever since. Um, What's interesting is what I love doing is mixing that high technical, like um, uh, really detailed stuff, edgy stuff with like cute animals. So like, kind of like Richard Scarry, where he has animals driving cars. You know, I like animals with robots, you know. Hmm.
2: And, and, And you just, I mean, do you just, like the process of creating, like how's this thing gonna work, and like how do I make the you know the the joints and the arm like believable, and then still do this? Is that what kind of you kind of geek out on, or is it the storytelling aspect of it, or what do you, what what kind of gets you going I, with
0: that? Yeah, I think for the most part, I think with LittleBot, it was it was less about um, drawing a robot and more about you know what is. The difference between you know us and something that can think and act just like us, you know, what is that? What makes you know what makes us human? What makes us not human? You know, what makes something living? What makes something not living? And so I think deep down there's probably something like that going on, but for the most part, like day in and day day out, when I draw robots and I draw technical stuff, it's really just like I like the engineering aspect of it the, the, the function and form like coming together to make something so
2: you know we were talking before that we started recording about some of the star wars movies um do you kind of geek out before a new one because that seems like you know knowing what you like now that seems like the perfect melding of technology and and robots interacting with humans in kind of an equal way they're not just subservient but Jake's i mean
1: unbearable to live so you with of, in the-
2: <laughs> the Star Wars.
0: No, I, that's a that's a huge aspect of Star Wars that I like is is the world is so rich and so built out of that universe. I mean, I don't know of any other movie franchise that has like cross section books. <laughs> right, you know? that's true. You see those incredible cross sections for Star Wars. Um, so I get all those books. I get the like the visual dictionary books. And I like to read like the background info of all the background characters and, and stuff like that. I, I love that stuff.
2: I mean, they definitely have created a, a a universe that is unparalleled. Are you one of those guys who's when you see one of the new movies, you notice little flaws like, Hey, wait, C three PO didn't get that arm until uh you know <laughs> farther in the story, but yeah, he's got it now.
0: Yeah, I, can, I can I can yeah, I can go there sometimes. <laughs> I try not like yeah, there's I have some beefs with uh, some Star Wars stuff that doesn't kind of the, the the physics in the Star Wars universe does not is not the physics in our universe. That's for sure.
2: Right, right. I got a couple more questions. Should we keep going, or or do you guys want to want to wrap oh, up? Yes. You guys, what
0: do yeah. you think? Oh, yeah, let's do a couple more, that's fun. Then, we'll, then
2: we'll wrap it up. All right, for our listeners, um, you know, there's a lot of people at different stages of writing stories and, and coming up with stories, and, and not just in terms of a children's book, but the stories that go in individual um, images as well. How would you say you avoid being cliché? Mm-hmm. How do you come up with new content?
0: Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good question, and I think what it comes down to is um, – You've got to connect
1: dots that haven't been connected Just be before. original. Just and be original. Yeah,
2: that, that's <laughs> the best. If you go to an SCBWI conference, that's what you're going to get out of it. Just write a great story that's
0: totally original. <laughs> well, I just yeah, saved I you guys
2: do. 500 bucks. <laughs>
0: but the, the question is, how do you be original? And, and, and I think what it is, is you look at anything that's really unique and original. There's an element of the familiar to it, but then there's an element of the unexpected as well and so um and so there's things that you could do as a creator to i guess give you an upper hand there and that is have and go back to the thing i always talk about that's the creative bank account having a full creative bank account having experiences and being cognitive and like receptive to the experiences that you're having and the things that you are learning about and, and, and like understanding that that you're absorbing all those and you're like organizing it in your head or, or however you do organize things and thinking how do these things connect and where are some unlikely connections that that seem to fit together and where are things that that you know, I could take something familiar and like turn it upside down and have it be new. So I think that's like the approach.
2: That's good. That's good. I'd like to add to that. Um, and one of the big things that I push my students. To now, and I I try to push myself to as well, and that is notice the things around Mm -hmm. you. Not just, like, when I see somebody, you know, every year you go to, like I said, an SCBWI conference or something like that, new writers. You know, they always have, like, the monster under the bed story. I never, ever want to see a monster under the bed story again. Because they're so, it's so cliche at this point in this genre that it tells me that you're not looking at your own life and you're not looking at what's happening around you and there's so much interesting things that happen in your own life that are going to be unique to you because that's the stuff that that you know you're experiencing every day and one example of that was I lived in Portland for a long time and I got sick of the rain I mean that was at first I didn't mind it but the rain just kept coming and coming and coming coming one year it didn't stop raining for like 30 days straight and I was talking to To my wife got it and I was like, God, what if it never stops raining? What if this is just our new normal? And so that kind of started me down the road of thinking like, okay, what if it didn't stop raining? And so I came up with this story about how this town that gets seasonal rains, um, you know, one year, the rains don't stop. And pretty soon the water comes up and up and up and up and up and the whole town's going to flood. And this girl uh who lives there is you know they're having to climb up the different levels of her house so i'm thinking of fun illustration kind of possibilities but she's got to go do something somebody has to do something and so she leaves she builds this box and she goes in search of the sun she's going to capture that sun in the box and bring it back and that became my premise for the story and 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 i don't know you know whether you like that or not it just came out of something that was so specific to what I was going through and what I was thinking about. And I haven't seen that story done in Mm -hmm. any other way. So, you know, I mean, I think that's the way you start to come up with originality is, is find the problems that you are going through specifically and then solve them in a, in an interesting way.
1: I mean, that's my Gary's worms, Gary's place series was, you know, the story I told earlier where, you know, we were going through the rough times. I agree with you, but we are also supposed to disagree on this podcast okay let's do it <laughs> no you could you could also if you're if you're fat you know if you're stuck on the idea of doing a monster under the bed story um then you you need to do something completely unexpected where you know the kid is and it's, this has probably been done but basically where the kid is scaring the monster under the bed you know something to where it's you know or trying to capture the monster under the bed or who knows
2: but I'm just saying the cards are stacked they against totally you are. already with that you know, one. You know,
1: it's funny. This question will come up at conferences where you have, you know, editors from New York and this question is asked to them. Well, you know, I'm writing this story. And I, I feel like there's a lot of them done. Like for a while, there were a lot of uh, stories written to pander to uh, librarians. So it was like all these stories were happening in the library and editors would, would get up and and or maybe there'd be a panel and, and they would they start laughing at all these stories that are being written and like, yeah, we're just throwing these stories away because there's too many of them. And then an editor would always go, but if you tell a really right. creative one that is, you know, a really interesting take on it, it could still get published. So but I think what you're saying is why um why try to limit yourself to where you're probably not gonna get published, whereas you could you could probably give yourself better odds by doing something a little more unique to you.
2: Yeah. It's funny when you start noticing the little little idiosyncrasies in your own life and the people around you and the characters and stuff. I mean, you know, you're talking about Seinfeld earlier. Do you know George was based on a real character and and Kramer was based mm-hmm. on a real character and and you know, so these are they're not pulling these out of thin air. And that's why, you know, those characters are so identifiable and they're so fun to to yeah. watch. I think they're rich, you
0: know. Yeah. Cool. Was there anything,
1: anything else? I
2: think that's it. Let's um, let's go ahead and take us out, oh, This Jake. is
1: good, Lee. Thanks for doing this. That's, that's a good topic. That's
0: fun. Yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff to discuss. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, so this is Three Point Perspective, and it's made possible by svslearn.com, as we mentioned earlier, and uh, that's where Becoming a Great Illustrator starts. Do go there and check out some of the classes uh, your hosts have been will terry from willterry.com and his uh, instagram account is at will terry Art. Uh, we also have lee white who uh this was the the who was leading the round table for this discussion today uh lee white illustration.com is his website and check out his work on instagram at lee white alone. and i'm jake parker from mr jake parker.com my instagram account is at jake parker uh, podcast is edited by Alex Sugg. You can find his work at alexsugg.com. Show notes by Tanner Garlic. Uh, find him at com. If you like this episode, uh, please share it around. You can subscribe to this, uh, to this podcast on iTunes. And if you do that there, please leave us a review. Uh, or please leave a review for us. I don't know how English goes for that. <laughs> but... Uh, Anyways, uh, we'd love to hear what you think, and we're also be posting um, the show notes and and a discussion for this topic on the svslearn dot forums. The forums are completely free to join, a member of the forums, and participate there. And you can uh, chime in on this episode if you have any thoughts about uh, this, the the uh, storytelling in general. Uh, we'd love to hear love to hear what you think about that. So. Let us know your thoughts. And thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next episode. Bye.